This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Second Wind. Part of the second wind for us women is the women coming up behind us. And the idea would be, why wait for your second wind? Why, why are we waiting to discover ourselves in our second wind? Well, because we've always been taught to do that, and that's just what we do. And now we're, we're honing in on that better late than never kind of thing. So I also thought it would be neat, after talking to various younger women, who listen to the podcast and are saying, yeah, I want to, I want to find my way sooner, earlier. Why be in the position that I don't want to be in? Listen to that inner voice, listen to the nudges and not just go with the flow. So in that, I wanted to bring Carly Ogren onto podcast because I've known of her and her family all my life. She's from my summer place in Pennsylvania. And it wasn't until 2017, we started working together in our dining facility and I ran the outside and she was the baker on the inside. And I realized she was kind of an older soul. She was like doing cool things and trying new things. And, and I just thought that was interesting. She wasn't following the pattern, but also that kind of, you could tell it kind of bothered you a little bit. You're like, yeah, my, my friends are married and oh yeah. And I don't really have that, but you knew that you didn't want to just sit and be complacent and not follow your heart. Why be somewhere when you don't want to, when it's not getting you to your goals and to have those goals, which is something that I think a lot of us in the second wind generation, you know, maybe we had goals to do stuff, but then it got kind of set aside. And now we're trying to re reamp them, give them some life, get them going. Whereas this younger generation seems to be grasping that concept a lot sooner. Carly has a really interesting story and she's evolving with some pretty big projects and some really neat things. And her story resonates and will resonate with so many people of what she's been through. She's been through a lifetime of stuff already mm -hmm. and has learned so much. And I just wanted to share this story of Carly and where she's going and how she's getting there. I just know it's going to help some people. So Carly, welcome to Second Wind, the podcast. Thank you, Wendy. It's an honor to be here. And we get to be together because yeah. she's like, hey, I have to be in Atlanta for this conference thing. I said, well, you could stay with me. So here she is. I'm like, oh, well, let's just do your podcast live. Mm -hmm. Let's try it. Let's yeah, try it. Let's try it. Okay. So we're trying it in the famous Second Wind studio. Yes. <laughs> the loft. The gorgeous view. Of the dogs and everything else that could go wrong. But anyway, so. Carly, you don't have a second wind per se, and, we, and we've talked about that, but you have been able to recognize that you want something different mm -hmm. than what the status quo is. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Okay. So as I've told you, and I share a lot on my business, cause I have a baking business. It all started when I was seven. I fell in love with baking when I would bake with my dad. And I always had this dream of, I want to own a bakery. Uh, at one point I wanted it to be a family restaurant cafe, but I always wanted to do something with baking. I loved baking, could do, bake anytime I wanted or anytime I could. And so I you know, you think about it, it's like, oh, well, that's not really a career that most people pursue. It's not necessarily going to be, you don't make the most money on it. So I went to college and studied business with still the intention of one day having a baking business. And from there, I was like, well, I need to go get real world experience. I need to go do the corporate job thing. I need to follow the plan. Like the baking can happen. The plan. The, the plan. plan. <laughs> the plan that is like an unwritten plan that we feel this pressure on us of you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you uh -huh. work the job, you make it a career, you retire, like this story that's been written for us that we're yeah. supposed to follow, uh -huh. which I don't even know where we learn that. It might just be, we observe it. And so we think that's the normal thing to do. And mm -hmm. I, um, it also varies based off of, you know, the, your upbringing, what mm -hmm. you experienced as a child, but that was what I thought I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So I did it. Mm -hmm. When I graduated college, I had a job offer to come to Atlanta. So I worked in Atlanta for two years in logistics. About a year and a half in, I realized while I was good at what I was doing, I did not enjoy the atmosphere. So I shifted and moved to another company, which was a fantastic environment, so much healthier of a work environment. But I still just felt this kind of this feeling like I wasn't supposed to be doing this. I knew it wasn't long term. Initially, my plan when I came to Atlanta was I'm going to work for a couple of years. I wanted to go into the Peace Corps. And then I was go back to grad school, maybe teach business. And then I could have the baking business while I did that. Sounds pretty safe. Sounds safe. And it yeah. sounds like, oh, this is a great plan to it's, follow. It is. A, and it's good to talk about. It sounds good on paper mm -hmm. or it looks good on paper, right? It sounds good when you're at a cocktail party or something. Yeah. And we're told to have a 10-year plan. Like you're told to have a right. five-year plan, 10-year plan. I had met someone at church and had just gotten to know him. We were just talking and he like asked me what I did, what I was interested in doing. And I had said that I wanted to go into the Peace Corps and I had applied, but not been accepted, which was a little mm -hmm. hard. And I realized it was because I didn't have much international cultural experience. Okay. So he, I was talking to him about it. He said, okay, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I guess I need to go get experience. He's like, well, if you could be doing anything with your life right now, where would you be? And what would you be doing? Interesting. It's always that one person that asks you some kind of yeah. crazy, crazy ass question. And it's like on the spot of like, yeah. there's no limitations. Like you could go do anything. What would it be right now? Not a, oh, if you don't have student loans, if you don't have a car payment, if you don't, it's just take away yeah, everything. Take away all that nonsense. What are you doing? Right. And I said, well, I'd be going to get more experience. And I had looked into an opportunity in Ecuador and I was like, well, I'd be in Ecuador right now getting more experience. Mm, so so the, if, if the, all things were perfect, what mm -hmm. would you do story? Right. Okay. And timing worked out really well that we were, I had had a roommate for two years. Like we had lived together for two years and we were coming up to the end of our lease. So she had found someone else to live with since I was planning to leave. because I was hoping to be accepted into the Peace Corps. So it just worked out that I put all of my things in storage and went to Ecuador for three months. I worked, yeah, I got experience in a small business there in a cafe and enjoyed the interaction there, enjoyed the bookkeeping because I helped with that. Like he very quickly realized I wasn't just someone who wanted to travel the world. Although I do love traveling the world. It wasn't this just desire to like, oh, I'm going to use this job opportunity to allow me to go travel. I do was actually interested stuff. in the business. Right. I was interested in learning. So he allowed, you know, allowed me to do that. 
And then I came back to a, the summer opportunity up, up at the lake mm-hmm. and worked there as the baker for the summer mm-hmm. and was still, I wasn't sure what I would be doing after that. It's a little scary to be like, well, I don't know where I'm going to go. I knew I could go back and stay with my parents for a little bit if I needed to. Had a friend who was going to let me stay in Atlanta for a little bit if I needed to, I could find a job. And I found an opportunity in my college town. I had reached out because I turned down a job offer in New Hampshire because I said, well, if it was in Chestertown, I'd take it, which is my college town. Mm. And I had just said that to my mom. I was like, you know, if it was there. And so my head, I was like, wonder if they're hiring. So I the job opportunity was for a bakery. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to give that a whirl. I did. I wanted to have baking in a bakery experience. The day-to-day, what is it to mass produce baked goods, to sell them, you know, learning the markets, that foot traffic, all of those things. And it was great. I love the opportunity there because I'd reach out and I said, are you hiring? And they're like, absolutely. And got how those things <laughs> happen. Yeah. yeah. So moved back to Maryland. And from there, I very quickly learned that I did not enjoy the bakery baking because it was a, it's very repetitive. Uh, you make the same thing every week. Like you can add some variety in there, but it's hard to do because people expect their croissants and you know, they're, they go in to buy the same mm-hmm. thing unless it's a special occasion. Yeah. Gotcha. And I, um, it does get very tiresome to make the same thing over and over again, or just, I, it can be boring in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. still enjoyed it. It was great, mm-hmm. but I was also not in a great place mentally at the time. So I was just like, I need a change. And they asked, uh, they were opening a second location and they asked me to manage it. And I was like, okay, that'll be great. I would, I can get experience managing a business. So I went and managed the second location and did you like that? Yes and no. Okay. I enjoyed interacting with the customers. I enjoyed how much I learned. It was such an incredible opportunity for me, but I did not like how reliant it is on foot traffic and how much product might be thrown out and gone to waste. And And now you're looking at the numbers. Yeah. So it's a little different. Mm -hmm. And then also when you work for someone, you don't have all the decision rights. So you can't be like, okay, I want to try this to bring more people in. It was all like, I could give ideas, but I was at their mercy of their decision, their discretion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, the idea of doing it and the numbers and all that stuff wasn't cutting it. So then what, what do you do? So I started looking for other jobs at all during the time since I moved back to Maryland, I was growing my baking business in the evening. So I was doing custom cookies, cakes, cupcakes. It was very small. Why were you doing that? What made you do that? That was the business that I wanted to do. I had made uh, custom sugar cookies before. And so I started. So people just found you and said, hey, I want you to make me some cookies. Mm -hmm. Because no one wants to make their own cookies. I wouldn't (laughs) want to. It takes hours. It's very time consuming. So we for events like birthdays, thank you uh, messages or thank you gifts as well. Birthday cakes, parties, those sorts of things. And you're self-taught this whole time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's important. So I started looking for another job that would, you know, pay the bills because I had bought a house. So I needed to pay my mortgage and baking was not there yet. So I reached out to people I knew in the area because I had bought a house. So I wasn't going to move and reached mm-hmm. and asked if they knew of any job opportunities, kind of explain what I was looking for. And initially my now current manager, she said no, or she didn't know of any. And then she reached out a little while later and said, Hey, we're hiring in accounting. Would you like to interview or would you like to apply for the job? And I said, absolutely. And I had worked for her before when I was an intern in college. Mm. So knew I loved her. She's fantastic person to work with. 
So I applied and was offered the position. So that went from, you know, managing a coffee shop bakery to working a desk job again. Love the people I work with. They're fantastic people. And they knew I had the business. So she knew that in the interview, she asked me, she said, what are you thinking for your business? She said, because I had started the business in college when she knew me Mm. very small. And she knew that that was the ultimate goal to have the business. Okay. So she asked me, you know, what's your time frame on it? What does that look like? And I said, it's going to be at least a couple of years. Like it's not going to, it's, I do it in the evenings. It's not going to be a full-time thing for a while. Like I'm not, I can't grow there yet because organic growth is really the best way to do it. It's going viral and all of a sudden exploding, you know, there's, there's growing pains there and to, a lot to like catch up on. Mm-hmm. You don't know, you don't have your processes in place. So all those things. So I worked the job and I'm still with the company, but after the being with them for two and a half years, I went part-time in April. I was talking, uh, as I've told you about it, I was for years, people would say, Oh, well, when are you going to go? When are you going to go full-time with your bakery? When are you going to open the bakery? When are you going to do this? Because that's the dream and that's the goal. And they don't know everything that goes into it. So it's, you're just like, it's not time yet. And there never really is a right time to do anything. You just, sometimes you have to take that leap of faith, but I knew it was the wrong time. I was at church in March of 2021 the pastor was talking about what is some, a step we need to take in faith. Like, what is a decision that we need to step out in faith on? And I just felt it was just this clear feeling of it's time. It is now time to step out in faith and grow the business. It wasn't leave your job. It was go part-time, but pursue it more, start preparing yourself, start allowing yourself to take on more orders where you're not doing it until midnight, you know, Mm -hmm. to have it more during the day. So I prayed about it and I was figuring out what that looked like. What would I, how would I approach my job and didn't know when it was still just like, all right, it's time to, it's time to get the ball rolling. And the next week I felt the date. It was, this is the date. Like what you're going to approach them with. You're going to say April 15th and that you want to work these hours. You know, they were disappointed, but they were happy for me Mm -hmm. and they accepted that. And you know, they could have very easily said, nope, see, okay, bye. Like you can't stay part-time. You know, they wanted to keep me on the team. So I've been since April, mid-April, been working part-time in the accounting field and continuing to bake. So you're an accountant by day, some days, and baker by night. Try to push the baking more towards the day, but yes, I was working. Yep. But so that sounds all great and good. And a lot of us wait. It's it's interesting though, that you were available to, you were listening to something other than your own mm-hmm. timeline. And we talked about that today on a walk about how the timeline works and what you, what you did to get there. But before we talk about that, you have a very interesting history mm-hmm. and you've had to overcome a lot of things in order to be able to bake the goods mm-hmm. and put yourself out there and not be in your own little world. Mm-hmm. And it, it just takes, I don't know, it just takes years for people to get to where you are. And you're even dabbling in, well, I've read some of it, a book yes. to help others mm-hmm. and give back. And also art and poems mm-hmm. and, and poems to go with some of your art. And it's just amazing. And how you do this while you're recovering and recovered and while you're 
dealing with relationships that maybe didn't go the way you wanted to mm-hmm. and pursue this, this dream and be solid enough to say, well, I still need to make money mm-hmm. and not just throw everything. Oh, it'll be fine. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So I guess, well, basically, cause you had to find who you are. Yes. And I would to be able to branch mm-hmm. out and follow your dream, which is like your second wind, mm-hmm. but you're how old are you? 28, 29, 29. So I guess if I take it back, kind of mirroring the timeline of my career jobs, because, you know, is that, you know, in college, I developed an eating disorder. It is stemmed from emotional, physical, mental, you know, a trifecta of issues. I was issues such a, it's no other word to really describe it, but a lot of, it was basically this perfect storm of things I was feeling way I felt about life, how I perceived life, how I perceived who Carly is, who I was and what you, what persona you put out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And it ended up manifesting as an eating disorder. You know, some people, these emotions and feelings manifest as, you know, some people turn to drugs, alcohol, some people turn to over-exercising, some people throw themselves into work and become workaholics. Um, we all, it all manifests differently in people. Mm-hmm. Mine manifested as an eating disorder. So to mirror the timeline of, you know, my career and job changes and the plan I was following, I developed an eating disorder in college and I was bulimic and I hit it. I was going through GI problems at the time. And um, so pe- my friends and family knew about that. And so they just assumed, oh, she's just struggling with GI problems. Yeah. Or I would talk about it like I was okay. And I would very good at hiding all of that. You know, people suspected and, but there's also people who had no idea. So that continued through moving to Atlanta and it was in Atlanta. I was in Passion City Church and there was just a moment where I felt so seen and like the pastor was speaking directly to me about. Even though there's how many people there? Oh, thousands, thousands, thousands of people. But it hit you. It hit me. I felt like he was speaking directly to me and just that I wasn't, that I wasn't broken or that God would make me unbroken. And I even realized that I felt so broken. I was just like, that's what I'm feeling. And a couple weeks earlier, my brother had emailed me and asked if I was okay. Mm. He suspected. He asked if I had gone and made myself throw up. I denied it because that's what we do. We want to be seen. We want to know what, that someone sees that we're struggling, but we don't want to talk about it right. until we're ready. Right. So it's like this weird balance of you want someone to ask, but you don't want to tell them because you want to know that they care enough. They care. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I started going to counseling, getting help, unpacking the baggage of everything that caused the eating disorder and why I was struggling there, learning who I was, the roles I took on or put on myself and just starting to break free from it. And I had moments where I was good, like I was in recovery, I was doing well. And then, so when I left Atlanta, I was doing really well and I got to Ecuador and things were great. And then things started to I just started to feel very lonely and isolated. And like, what am I doing with my life? Even though I was moving in the right direction, I was going towards the baking experience to grow the business and do the things. I felt a little lost. Yeah. Even though I was, I had a direction. You're on the, you're on the path, mm-hmm. but you were like, oh yeah. Felt very lost. I'm not and so sure I'm the person that should be on this path. Right and it now. was yeah, doubt of, am I really doing the right thing? Right. Should I have left that? Should I have stayed? It's that stupid little voice mm-hmm. of our ego coming to mm-hmm. kind of knock us off. Yeah. That happens no matter what age you are, mm-hmm. but it's, it's figuring out how to go past that mm-hmm. and work your way around it. So what'd you do? Well, I relapsed. 
into my bulimia. Okay. And I then, you know, had moved to Maryland. And so I was bulimic in that time frame. And no one knew. They didn't tell anyone. Right. And they assumed that I was still recovered. And it was into my new to the job where I am now. It was a couple months into there. I went through a breakup. I had a moment at my kitchen table that I just cried out oh, to God. Oh, the moment. The moment at my kitchen table where I laid it out to God and I said, I can't do this on my own. No one's going to be around to know that I'm struggling. Not that he saw it. He had, didn't know. Uh, or maybe he didn't, didn't care. But no one's going to be here. I can't do this. I, I, I can't. I don't want this to be my life. I can't have this control me anymore. And since then, it has been, that was November. Hey, you're sitting at your kitchen table. Yeah. And are you like crying? Are you oh, just yeah, over it? And you're just, mm-hmm. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be doing mm-hmm. this binge purge stuff mm-hmm. that I thought I licked. And I, I don't know where my life is going. And I don't have the guy that I thought I was going to marry. Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, I, different person, but yes, <laughs> stuff. And what did you just threw it up and you just said, okay, God, mm-hmm. no, throw it up. Okay, God. No, I threw it up in the air. I did. <laughs> okay, God, take over. Mm-hmm. And what made you think that that was a good idea? Because I tried it my way and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I knew I couldn't, it would take a supernatural power to free me from this. Like I could not wow. do it within my own power. From then, didn't have temptations and urges. Six months later, I had a very small relapse and I recognize it was, and I'll talk about it in my book, it was, I was just distracted and I was feeling a lot of emotions and in order to not say something rude or that I didn't out of place, I just kept eating. It wasn't an intentional like, hey, I'm going to go do this, but I still have to count that as a relapse because I did intentionally make myself throw up afterwards. Okay. So that would have been, it was November of 2018. And then it into May. So then I was good until May of 2019. I had that very small isolated relapse. And then I've been good since. Wow. So you have that moment mm-hmm. at the kitchen table and you pray about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anybody to think that, okay, things are crappy right now. I'm going to pray. And then the next day, everything's better. No. Yeah. I went so explain that because it's hard to have that faith. It took away the desire to use bulimia as my coping mechanism. It didn't take away everything I was going through. It didn't take away the heartbreak I was feeling. How did it take away the coping? I had no, I just, the desire was gone. I was through it up to God and, and, mm-hmm. and you feel like the next day because of that. I mean, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is now you have a confidant or somebody like that took over the urge. Mm-hmm. Most. Mm-hmm. And, and I still did the things I knew, like I had the precautions, like I didn't keep ice cream in the house. You know, I, there, there's ways to still strategies that I still followed, but it wasn't, you know, I could have gone to the store. I didn't have that urge of like, all right, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to plot this out because that's part of an eating disorder is just like an addiction. You plot out what you're going to do. Right. And it consumes your mind all the time you're thinking about that. So I didn't have that thought process. And it was my time was filled with work. And then decorating cookies. Mm. And that was most of what my baking was in the big growth processes. A lot of custom sugar cookies. I still do a ton of wedding cakes now, but it takes time to get your name out there for weddings. Cookies are a little easier because someone goes to a party and like their, you know, son's party and they see these cookies like, oh, I want to get these for my son's party. You know, that sort of thing. Word of mouth travels a lot faster for birthdays than necessarily for weddings. Right. So my time was, that was what my time was. It was working by day, baking by night. And I knew I needed 
a better community because the church I was going to was so far away. I love my old church. It was just too far. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be involved during the week. So I found another church to go to and that's closer to my house and was embraced into that community. And they have been fantastic, have helped me through the other parts of life that you say. I have lived a lot of life. They've helped me through all of that. I haven't done it alone. And it, it was God plus more. He knew what I needed. He knew how to keep sustaining that. And as you mentioned, the other parts of life that I've experienced in 2020, when I was engaged and my fiance at the time relapsed, there were moments that I was just like, I wish I could cope with bulimia. Like I just, that was what I wanted. I wanted that old familiar friend. Wanted to cope with that. Okay. But I had no desire to do it. It was like, I I wanted to do it. I wanted to to do it it because you knew it would, well, but I also did chemical part of it. It releases endorphins to make you feel better for a brief period of time. Mm -hmm. And you were going through this ugliness, Mm -hmm. but I didn't because another part of eating disorders is control. Yeah. You start out thinking you have control and you do at the beginning and then you lose control very quickly and it controls you. Right. But I, I, my life was falling apart or seemingly falling apart and exploding. And so I wanted to, that would have been a little something I could control, but then I ultimately knew. And because I had been so far removed from it or, you know, I'd had time away from it. I knew ultimately that's a rabbit trail. I don't want to go down. Right. Right. And that, I mean, you were six weeks away Mm -hmm. from tying the knot, Mm -hmm. which after just doing Aaron's wedding, my daughter, six weeks away, that's like, you're in this home stretch. Everything's paid for everything's, you know, you're about Mm -hmm. to push the go button. Mm -hmm. And then the world shuts down for a pandemic. Yeah. So that helped you a little bit. Mm -hmm. One of the many reasons for this podcast is to collect, connect, and share information that will add to your life. It is my honor and pleasure to share products with you that I buy, use, and believe in that are high quality, sustainable, responsible to our earth, and that actually work. One product I have been using for almost a year now, every day, and now twice a day with the diagnosis of my Lyme disease is collagen. Collagen is a buzzword right now because collagen is a protein that makes up 30% of our bodies. And like everything else, as we age, we lose it. Fine lines, brittle nails, Dull hair, achy joints, dry skin are all part of why collagen is so essential. So let me share why Elaine Collagen, the brand I use, is in my opinion more effective than what's out there on those shelves. It is easy to use, tasteless, and dissolves into any beverage. It's non-GMO, and it's from cows raised in Spain, and no chemicals are used for its extraction. Bingo, speak in my language. You can experience the benefits for yourself and receive 15% off by using the code SECONDWIND, all one word, at checkout at ElaineWellness.com. And if you want to know more about Elaine and her Second Wind story, listen to her episode. The title is Plot Twist. There's no such thing as anti-aging from March 15, 2021. Now, back to the episode. And what did you do during the pandemic? How did that, because now you're not getting married. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to see people. Yeah, now you're by yourself. Yeah, I still went and saw my pastor and his wife. We had been doing counseling, like premarital counseling with them. And so I continued to do my own counseling with them. You know, I wasn't like, it was mental health, you know, going to see them. And I did end up getting a local counselor in Maryland as well. It was hard. It, it was helpful in the way that I could just like feel all my emotion at home. I could be like sobbing while I was working. That was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still getting my job done, but just like feeling all these emotions overwhelming me. There. Yeah. yeah. 
but it was hard to like be so isolated and you know ever then and then after that everyone's like oh when are you planning when are you getting married because like the pandemic ended and I was like well we're not um (laughs) yeah they thought you just postponed but that also comes back to the baking stuff because our plan, we had talked about it, we would be married. And then after we hadn't quite set a time limit on it, but I would quit my job and just do baking because he, we would then have his income to pay the bills, you know, with the baking. So that so, was all wrapped into the whole, the dream, the picture that I think that I should have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you're back to, you know, paying all your bills and you're like, all right, how, how many cookies do I need to sell? to pay the bills. It's hard, especially I'm a cottage food baker and Maryland has restrictions on how much revenue you can make as a cottage food baker. Cottage food baker. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm not inspected by the health department unless someone were to file a complaint. You know, having worked in a kitchen plus just general sanitary, my kitchen's clean. It's Mm -hmm. not going to make anyone sick. But you know, there's hoops to jump through. They promote small business, but it's very hard to own a small business. Yeah. Yeah. I might know a little something about that. (laughs) A little bit. <laughs> so I'm like, all right. And that's part of what, why the part-time thing was so beneficial because I had that income plus what I could make baking and there's a limit there. So now you've mentioned I'm doing the book and I like poetry and art and I'm trying to incorporate all of those things in without trying to drink from a fire hydrant because there's so many things. There's all the things, all the things, all the things. And you're 29 and I'm 29. <laughs> You're young. And I'm doing it all on my own. And you don't um, have any children. And you're, yeah, you're doing it on your own, but also you don't have some of the extra stuff to mm-hmm. deal with. That's true. Oh, Thank there's people, women who do it with families, right. I, especially the single moms who do it. I have mad respect for them. Yeah. I, so, and there are sacrifices you make. Like I mm-hmm. don't see, not able to see a lot of people in the evenings or on the weekends. If I'm working, you know, if I vacation, that means I'm not just losing, I'm losing income. Like I, I can't bake during that time. Right. I don't get paid time off when you're a small business. Right. Owner. I never thought of that. Like if you can't, if, you, mm-hmm. if somebody has something that has to happen on a weekend that you've already decided to have off, can't do the job. Mm-hmm. Ugh, okay. That makes sense. Or if I've already accepted something and then there's an event, I might not be able to go to it. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm navigating that, but I, this past summer had, was going through some other heartbreak and emotions. And I just started envisioning paintings or just, and then words were pouring into me. I had been reading the Psalms and I was on the Stairmaster at the gym. And I was like, if I were to write a Psalm, what would, what would it say? Mm. And so I wrote one while I was on the Stairmaster words came out. And since then I try to write down them as I think them. So I have a bunch of half finished poems because it's just these emotions and expressions. So maybe they are finished. You know, oh, short. Yeah. Yeah. But it might be in nature, or as I told you, when I had one come to me as I was driving yeah. through Atlanta. I'm trying to hear what God's putting on my heart. And I think he was putting it on all along. Like you had asked, I had mentioned in the pre pre call that a friend of mine asked me if I had always been creative or was yeah. it something new I was learning about myself? Because right. I've only recently really started sharing the paintings and the poems. Right. And at the time I was like, well, I've always enjoyed painting and art. Like I was always a kid who wanted to color and I've always baked but that was kind of the extent the writing things new. Right. And then I realized later that night I was thinking about, it. I was like, I've come full. I've kind of come full circle in a way in college. I had a blog that I thought I wanted to do because everyone was blogging at the time that didn't go anywhere, but it was going to have poetry and paintings and photography and baking and all the things. Hmm. And when I was a kid, I'd be hmm. in church and be like, I want to write worship songs because I love worship songs. 
but they'd only ever be like poems. It wouldn't really be, it wouldn't be actually a, a song, song. Right. Um, which you can turn poems into songs very easily, but it was, I wanted it to be what a song was, but I'm not as rhythmically inclined. Like I can play an instrument, but it's off tempo. <laughs> so I've kind of just realized like it was always in me. I just kind of stopped listening to it or drifted from it. And now it's, you know, words will come to me or the idea. I showed you the painting I did of emotions at six panels. Oh, it's so cool. I'm like, you should tell that idea. (laughs) And that's like the chakras. Did you know that? Like she did it (laughs) as if it was the chakras, not realizing that that's what you were doing. Yeah. And it was just, it was pressed on me, these emotions that I wanted to capture. And I can just see it in my head, just all like, we all feel so many emotions. Often we don't know what the emotions are. We don't know how to process them. I'm also a more emotional person because I am learning some people don't feel emotions as deeply. And I feel things very deeply and process things. Very empathetic person. So I just, like I said, I had the, I wanted to figure out how to capture that Mm -hmm. on and paint. So it's really interesting too. And I think this is what's, what I want, especially the younger women who are listening to get out of this. Because we're, we're all here to help each other and be in service to each other, no matter our age, is that you were able to listen and feel the nudges and say, these are things I love to do. And I'm getting this idea that I should just do it. And so what happens is you just do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and you would have found time. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you were married and you did have, to, you still would have listened to that. Mm-hmm. I think we discussed that a little bit. And that's the difference. And I think that's where the second wind comes into play is we waited and now we're saying, okay, here's the nudge and I'm actually going to take action Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, and I'm going to see where this goes. And what's very interesting in some of the interviews that are coming up on second wind is people talking about, well, when you're seven, I think Leslie McGurk talked about this as well. When you're younger and you're like in your around the seven-year-old age, mm-hmm. that's the stuff you loved and that's what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. I can remember what that was. <laughs> it was very interesting. So mine was animals, mm-hmm. taking care of animals and mm-hmm. also painting, although and, and you'll get there. Art, I'm, I'm working on it, but being creative. And also I wanted to help people. I've, I found mm-hmm. an older lady in my neighborhood and I would go visit her. There was a dog chained up that I would go visit every day mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. So you look back and you're like, oh, I see how that's all connected now. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is at 29 now, you've already done that. You're already doing that. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why, why, and I think I asked you this. I don't know if you came up with an answer yet. Why do you think you have been able to grasp that concept now? I mean, part of it might be because of the shift we're experiencing because of the pandemic and because there's more about women and our power and our energy mm-hmm. being brought to surface level. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I'm a very determined person. Some people may have referred to me as stubborn before. So some of it is internally driven of I'm to prove people wrong or to prove that I can do it, to prove I'm capable. That was the negative side that was driving me. Negative side. The yes. negative side that was driving me you and learning that I don't- anything to anybody. Yes. Right. But it's also, you know, work ethic that was instilled by my parents. Yeah. Like if you want something, you have to work for it. Right. So that's part of it. And, but the shift has been from pursuing what I thought I was supposed to like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just going to like, I'm going to do what society tells us we're supposed to do. 
I'm going to get the job. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to move. I'm going to be bold. You know, and ironically, I was very insecure, but yet I was very daring. It shifted into wanting to yield to God's plan. I still am going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, take the steps, take the step, be bold in where he's leading me. Okay. That's for me why I'm realizing it now is if I'm not happy, if I'm not feeling peace, if I'm feeling this anguish, that's not what he wants for my life. That's not. So why am I not trying to pursue what's going to bring me peace? What's going to bring the calm? What's going to, you know, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It still could be hard. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to have peace with it. There's going to be a level of confidence and security there. If someone who kind of of the belief of, if you're going to complain, what don't complain about it, unless you're going to do something about it. Or if you complain, you got to do something to fix it. Give me a solution. Yeah. Find a solution. Do something. Even if it's a small step, don't just sit there and be like, oh, life sucks. Right. Do this. And you've put that calmness into effect. Mm -hmm. You said you had, you had a pretty traumatic situation happen Mm -hmm. and you were able to hone in and ask for that comfort Mm -hmm. and that calmness. Mm -hmm. And it came to you. And that you now, the steps you take, you kind of, you don't just take a step willy nilly and not think about it. You sit back and allow for whatever needs to come to you mm-hmm. and you, and you hear that and you feel it, you mm-hmm. know, in that second gut down here and you feel it. Right. And then mm-hmm. when you feel calm about something, you're saying, that's when, you know, mm-hmm. that's the way you're supposed mm-hmm. to go. And, and it, yeah, when there's peace in where I'm going like in the action I'm taking. Cause sometimes the nudge isn't necessarily a calm feeling. Right. But right. it leads it you to scary. the calm feeling. Sometimes it's a, like very serious. You don't like, want me to do what? Yeah. Or this is so important, like the pressing of importance of it. And, you know, God speaks to us in so many different ways. It could also just be like, you're going through the heartbreak and that's not what he wants. So if, if you're in this turbulence and torment and there's not like a piece with it. Cause you know, like you said, I went through some tra- traumatic experiences and all through it, I still had a peace and a joy, not that what I was going through was good, but that what I was doing, the actions I was taking in it were good. And what I was supposed to be almost doing. sounds, I, I think of the word grounded when you're saying that, that you had like a, a constant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would not have gotten through 2020 without my faith. I would not have, wow. I would have relapsed for sure. Yeah. Especially um, cause you're baking mm-hmm. with oh, delicious mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So that would be a, an easy, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to make, oh, I have to make these two dozen cookies. I'll make three dozen. And I'll eat a dozen mm-hmm. right now. And then I'll throw it up, mm-hmm. but you didn't do it. Nope. That's crazy. Good. And I eat a cookie for breakfast every morning. First breakfast. Then I have a real breakfast because you know, I can that by not labeling foods as bad, you take away their power. By allowing yourself to eat what you want to eat. Initially, you might binge a little bit. You might overeat something. But by shifting your mindset to say, I can eat whatever food I want to eat, you're no longer craving. Your mind's not obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And eventually you're like, oh, I had a bite of cake and that satisfied me. I wanted cake or I wanted a piece of chocolate, but I don't need to eat the entire like bar of chocolate. So easy. Like that's, if we could actually feel that and put that into motion. We put a lot of places out of business and a lot of people out of business who are selling us stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But we all need a coach. We have discussed that coaches, coaches are important mm-hmm. to support you. And you've had people in your life that mm-hmm. have been there for you to help mm-hmm. you figure things out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So what would you say, Carly, because you're living the second wind now 
and I have full faith that you will keep doing and keep taking the actions to keep Mm -hmm. being so that when you're 40, whatever, 50, 60, you're not going to sit there and go, uh, now what? Mm -hmm. Now it's gonna be like, okay, how now? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah. So what would you say to, you know, the younger generation coming up behind a second winder generation? Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Don't get sold on one thing. Mm -hmm. So if you are passionate about something now, that's fantastic. It might not be you forever. Don't make it your identity. Uh This is going to be me because what happens if that ends? What happens if that, you know, some life circumstance happens and you're no longer able to do your passion? Right, then you're not open to what else could be coming your way. Or it guides you another way. Like I realized in October, I went to a book writing retreat and I realized that I want my baking and just my life in general to be a ministry. You know, you talk about missionaries and we're all, you know, but you can, I'm not going to be going off to the ends of the earth. I'm, I want my whole life to be, this is what my, this is, this God guides my life. This is how I live my life, you know, and incorporate that into my baking. So I will, and into my poetry and my painting and all those things. And I'll talk about the story behind it. Like when I make cookies, I, as I'm decorating them, I pray over the family that's going to eat them. I don't always know them. If it's a baby, I pray over the baby's life, marriage, pray over the marriage and their future family. And so that's something that, you know, I'm thinking like, is baking going to be forever for me? I don't think it will, it's very physically demanding. I think I will always bake, but will I always have a baking business for the next 20 years? Probably not. I might be wrong, but probably not. do the baking for you. That is true. I learned to let go of a little bit of control there, but I can use that to speak encouragement to people to show like, it's okay to celebrate with food. It's okay, you know, to share your story. I use it to share my story. Yeah. Post, I had a post, I did an ice cream cake for my youth group and I did cinnamon toast ice cream cake. Cinnamon toast crunch used to be something that I would binge on and purge oh on. My gosh. And ice cream was also one of those things. So I'm making a double whammy. Yeah, I used here. to do that with ice cream too. And it's in my house. And I was able to eat a bowl of it with no problem. I haven't had cinnamon toast crunch in years. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. But I was able to share that, you know, yeah. and be vulnerable about it. And the number of people who I didn't know were struggling that I've known who I don't know, but see it and get vulnerable. It's, it's incredible to see how it's impacting people. And that's something where it's, it's baking, but I'm bringing in these other callings. Like I'm writing a book. So I'm kind of, you know, learning how to share. You're writing the book about the bulimia and why that all got started, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting story. I can't wait to read the book. I read some of it. It's really good, but you didn't know about all this till you started doing Instagram mm-hmm. and started posting all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I venture to guess that seeing how some of these things have gone viral, like viral, like hundreds of thousands of people looking at this sweet sea baking Instagram that helped you that like, that's a, a vehicle that brought you to writing the book mm-hmm. and, and all these new things started opening up. And originally that I Instagram was just to like help get the word out about your baking mm-hmm. and then boom and look where it, it flourished. Mm-hmm. And part of that you said, and I love that you said, this is I've learned that being vulnerable is really where we gather our momentum mm-hmm. and where, where God steps in and, and puts the flagstones down. Mm-hmm. So to speak, I know I paraphrase that. No. Yeah. Brene Brown in daring greatly puts it that we see vulnerability in others as strength, but weakness in ourselves. So when we see someone being vulnerable, we're like, wow, they are incredible that they can share something so deep. 
but we're terrified to do it. Yeah. Because we think if we're vulnerable, that means we're weak. Right. But yeah, when we see it in someone else, there's this level of respect of like, okay, wow. Don't we love ourselves as much as we love other people? That's the question. Mm. No. You yeah, can answer a, that question, you'd be rich. We're working on it. We're working on it. But that's part of what you're Sorry. doing. That's part of mm-hmm. what you're experiencing. I'm going to love myself mm-hmm. and I'm going to be vulnerable and look. And I'm going to learn who I am that I don't fit in a mold. And none of us fit in a mold, right. but like we feel like we're supposed to. And I felt like because I didn't fit in a mold, I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a lawyer. I didn't want to pursue these prestigious things. Like I wanted to be a baker and not realizing how many people see, oh, you have a business. Like that is a respectable thing. But I always was telling myself that I was less than, or it was just, you know, being a little dreamer and realizing that it's, I'm uniquely positioned to share my story, to do my business, to do different avenues. As long as I'm pursuing what I'm supposed to, God's going to make it successful. Maybe not in a billionaire's eyes, but in his eyes, in my eyes, it's, it's going to be success as defined by me. And so often we're looking for success as defined by society, but we don't even know who the society is that defines success. We're just clinging on to this like thing. Yeah. Doesn't really exist. So I think a big part of it is finding your calling and knowing that it can change. Mm -hmm. And I think we get so tied up and we're supposed to have it all figured out. You know, we, the first thing we ask people, we ask little what kids, do you do? what do you, or yeah. What do you like? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Like that changes, yeah. you know, what you want to be changes over time and that's okay. But mm-hmm. people, there is some wrong changes people might make or there are radical changes that isn't always the best. You know, it's not saying go out tomorrow, quit your job and go, you know, follow your dream. Yeah. Maybe, but have a plan. Yeah. You know, it's to have something in place, even if it's just the next step mm-hmm. and then focus on the next step. I mean, focus on the step you're taking now. What could come next? It wasn't, you know, when I left my job in Atlanta, I thought I wanted to go into the Peace Corps, but learned in Ecuador that I didn't want to. And uh, ultimately, like I wanted to help people, but that wasn't the way that I meant to. And so I, but I had something lined up for when I got back from Ecuador, you know, I had the baking job lined up. Yep. And then at, towards the end of that, I was like, well, I need something. I had a, you know, I had a safety net. I had places I could stay for, you know, while I look for a job, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to make sure I have the next thing lined mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And, and that being said, there are times that people do need to just quit their job without a backup plan initially. Like if it's a very bad situation, but have, have a direction that you're planning to go. And be open and, be open. and listen mm-hmm. and ask your friends. You know, like you hear people, you hear what they're passionate about. You hear what people are like, what they follow or what they share with you, you know, and you'd say, okay, well, why don't you pursue that? Why don't you see if there's a way to make that into a career? And sometimes it is, you're just working for a paycheck to allow you to do your passions and your volunteers and your volunteering and your hobbies. And that can be what it is. Yeah. Sometimes people around us see the things Mm -hmm. within us Mm -hmm. that we really can't see all the time. Yeah. Like I have busy negative talking Mm -hmm. ourselves. I have a friend who's volunteered at animal shelters at farms for decade or two decades now. And I could see her when she retires, continuing that work. And, you know, she works her job and she enjoys what she does, but that's not her thing. It's not her passion and she enjoys it and she likes it, but it's also then allows her to do her passion and to give back. So it's great if your passion and you're giving back can all be lumped together in a job, but that doesn't always happen. So what keeps you going every day, Carly? Do you like a mantra or a thing you do every day? I don't have a thing I do every day. My, my mantra is more of a, 
actually does allow me to hear what I'm supposed to do. So I realized I had told you one and then there was another one. So above my back door, I painted on a driftwood plank that I found. It says, be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time being still. Mm-hmm. So normally what kept me going was momentum. It was just thing after thing, after thing, after thing, after thing. So now I'm trying to have what keeps me going is being a refresh and a, like a grounding into okay. my faith and into what God's guiding me to do. So being still, being still and taking it one step at a time, one step at a time. because I will get so wrapped up in, I want to bake and I have poems in me and I have paintings. I want to paint, want to make them into prints. I want to sell postcards, like all of these things can't do them all at once. Right. I can, I can build them to be all at once, but I need to take one, one step, step at a time. time. Uh, well, thank you, Carly. I loved getting to know you better. And I love this idea. I'm going to have some other young women on as well. Mm-hmm. Talk about how they're getting to where the second windows winters are mm-hmm. so they can bypass the nonsense and, mm-hmm. and, and be even more in touch mm-hmm. and aware and powerful and all the great things. So thank you so much. And until next time, Breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.